Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? So the series is going to start this morning with the sermon, Follow Me. It's in Matthew 4, 18 to 22. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. And a little bit of background on this section. First of all, at the age of five, Hebrew boys begin learning the Torah. At five years old, they would start teaching the kids the Torah, the first five books. Uh, we call it the Pentateuch too. By the age of 10, the boys knew the Torah. So five years, kind of get the, get the background here. When Jesus came on the scene, there was already steeped within the Hebrews and the Israelites this idea of understanding the, the Torah as given by Moses. And I think about how far we have come as a, as a culture. Most of our kids are lucky to know John 3.16 by the age of 10. And I think we probably need to do a better job at, at instructing our, our kids. By the age of 17, they would find a rabbi and ask to be a disciple, and they would sit at his feet. Now, this was not for everybody. Most of them at the age of, of 10, between 10 and 17, would, would drop off. So we're talking about a very small number would actually come. They actually had the, the schools of theology, uh, which is where we got a lot of our exegesis from uh, as it's been passed down through the ages. And so at 17 years old, they would find a rabbi and they would sit at his feet. That was a way of asking the rabbi for permission to become a disciple. The, the problem is rabbis were really picky. They didn't just take anyone. So if a 17-year-old came and they sat at his feet he could go, no, I don't want you. So it was a very exclusive club. Uh, maybe the rabbi knew the boy growing up, said this, this boy would definitely not be one of my disciples. And so that boy would then go out and he would do uh, whatever the family business was, which was a large part was shepherding and also fishing. Uh, they would be fishermen. The goal of this was to become like the rabbi. So when you picked a rabbi, you would live with that rabbi, you would follow that rabbi, you would look at how he did his daily life, and you would try to become like the rabbi. So when we talk about discipleship, we are talking about, in our context for today, we are talking about becoming 
like our rabbi, who is Jesus. That's the whole goal of the Christian life, actually, is to follow Christ and to become like him in the world. And the question is, how are we doing? I think as Southern Baptists, we fall short, and I would say many denominations fall short. We're, we're, we're good at people coming forward, getting saved, getting baptized, but we're doing a very poor job at helping people become followers of Christ. In fact, I changed, uh, probably four or five years ago, I changed our focus, our purpose statement reads, and does anybody know it? To become fully committed followers of Christ. Thank you. Some of you guys got that. To become fully committed followers of Christ. So I realized even back then that, that we need to, everything that we do needs to focus on helping people become more like Jesus. That is ultimately the goal of the Christian life. And of course, the Christian life also involves sharing the gospel because Jesus went out and he shared the good news with the lost world. So let's look at what we're going to look at today. It's a different outline. Um, Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. Now he says, while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is in verse 18, while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. This is where the, this is the setting of the Sea of Galilee. You can see it's kind of barren. It's, it's not a, a, uh, a magnificent place. It's not like Disney World. It's not, it's just plain. And you could picture here boats out here and people fishing. It was, it wasn't as quiet as it is now. Uh, it was a hubbub of activity. And so Jesus was walking along by the, by the sea. We don't know if this is it. I'm just putting this picture up so you can see uh, what it looks like. But it's not, it's not spectacular. And be mindful of the fact that Jesus is picking fishermen. They're not the cream of the crop. Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses those who are willing. Now, we notice here that he saw Peter, well, we call him Peter today, and Andrew. And they were pulling nets, and they were fishing, and he calls them, Peter, Andrew, follow me. And Peter and Andrew had their nets going. Now, we know, we know Peter, right? Peter denied Christ three times. I'll never deny you, Lord, and he did it three times. Be careful what you say. He did call Jesus the Son of God. He was one of the first that stood up and said, I believe thou art the Son of God. And he also wrote two epistles that we know, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Then you have Andrew that's even less uh, known in the scriptures, but in Mark 13, 3, he questioned Jesus about his prophecies in the temple, uh, of the temple. He was also the disciple who brought the little boy that had a lunch to Jesus and it wound, he wound up feeding 5,000. Not too much is known outside of that about Andrew. But here's something to point out. Jesus did not pick rock stars. He did not pick the elite. 
the only one that I can think of that was elite when actually came to saving faith in Jesus Christ was the Apostle Paul. All the other disciples were uneducated. He took a tax collector who is hated. Jesus did not go out looking for rock stars. He looked for people who were willing to become a disciple, a follower of Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus can use us today. We're not rock stars. We're not, uh, we're not what the world would consider uh, elite. No, we are normal people. And this is who Jesus uses as followers of him. This is who Jesus picks to become like him. John MacArthur had a quote here. God skipped all the wise of a day. The great scholars that were in Egypt, the great library was in Alexandria, the great philosophers were in Athens, the powerful were in Rome. He passed Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. When you came to saving faith in Christ, You may not have been prestigious and you may not have been in a certain social class, but I can tell you that this is what makes up the kingdom of God. He uses you. He uses me. Not rock stars, not well-known, but everyday people, but we have to be willing to follow. And that is, that is the key. Jesus does not choose the best. Sometimes he may... Um, have a, a movie star come to saving faith. We've, we, we've seen that. But those are exceptions. The rule is that Jesus picks people like me and you to follow him and to do great things. And by the way, if I remind us, 12 men, 11 of those not what I would call educated theologically or educated in any other way except fishing, 12 men turn the world upside down. And whom we are indebted today because they became followers of Christ. What could God do with 12 people right here? For Tolono, Sidoris, Sydney, all the surrounding communities, Champaign. Secondly, our primary calling is to be with him. Not only does he not choose the best, the brightest, he chooses normal people, but our primary calling is to be with him. And he said to them, very simply in 19a, he said to them, follow me. Follow opiso which means to go behind someone or to follow after someone. There's, there's plays on words throughout this. Um, uh, as he's walking by the sea, he's calling these disciples, and it is a reminder to us that the calling of God is simply to follow. In spite of all the difficulties that Jesus and his disciples had initially uh, encountered, they, they turn the world upside down. Our primary challenge is to spend time with Christ. That's our primary calling. You can't get too far 
if you're not spending time with him. Three and a half years, the disciples were with Jesus. Three and a half years, the master was teaching his students how to become like him. If we do not spend time with Jesus, it is impossible to become like him. If we are not in the word daily, it is impossible to become like him. I guess my challenge to you today is, I think, to start with the gospel of Matthew and read through and look how Jesus lived his life. That's how you get to know him. How much time during the week do you spend with Jesus? How much time during the week do you spend looking at the way Jesus lived uh, and, and trying to model the way he lived? Because honestly, you cannot get to know somebody if you don't spend time with them. Many of you spend hours with your families. You know them. You know them well. How did you get to that point? You got to that point because you were willing to spend time with them and get to know them. You have good friends you spend time with and get to know. And uh, I, there's many friends in my life. I know exactly what I could get them for their birthday. I know exactly some of the things that they like because I've spent time with them. And then we have to think about Jesus. How much do we know Jesus and that our primary calling, and I think this is right, our primary calling is to get to know him more and more in our lives. We can't do that if we're not studying the word, we're not talking to him daily, and, not, and, and, if, and if we're not doing that, we just don't know him. So we can't see him in our lives at work because we don't know him. And a lot of our responses as believers can be wrong, not because, uh, not because we're imperfect, which we are, but because we don't know Christ. How would Jesus, I remember back in the day, uh, the, the, the kids in my first church, it was a bigger church, and the, the kids made these bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I thought, well, that's nice for the little kids. And then I'm starting to think as I've gotten older, maybe, maybe some of our adults and myself should be wearing those bracelets. What would Jesus do in this situation? Um, so, yeah, we have to spend time with him. And the question is, how do we spend time? I think that's a legitimate question. Number one, the first way that you can do it is spend time in his word. I want to encourage you as your pastor this coming week, start with Matthew, read maybe a chapter a day, uh, get, look at how Jesus lived his life, and then go, okay, I'm going to try to live like Jesus lived. I'm going to try, and you can not just not just the Gospels, but read the entire New, New Testament. Because Paul and Peter and John, they all say things about Christ. Oh, wait a minute. I know what Jesus would do here. I want to become like the master. See, the issue here is wanting to become like the one who saved you and me. That's really the issue. And I think not only as Southern Baptists, but as Christians in general, we have fallen short of this. That we're good, as I said in the introduction, we're good at getting people forward, saved, baptized, uh, mission, uh, ministry into the church, and then we leave them to flounder on their own. I think about my own salvation, October 12, 1981. It wasn't until April I started attending church. And then I started attending Sunday school. And then in Sunday school, which by the way is right after church today, 
Sunday school or small groups is the best way to, to learn about Jesus. Because not only do we have the Bible, but we have others in the body of Christ who have lived with Jesus a while and have learned how Jesus lives his life. And so we have those people as mentors. I thank God for a lot of mentors that I had in my life early on. I'm talking about professors like uh, Dr. Windsor, Dr. Cook, uh, Newt Larson, good, good friend of mine. Uh, there were many mentors that helped me along in my Christian walk, and I am indebted to those men. I'm also indebted to people like my grandmother, both my grandmothers who prayed for me for salvation. Thankfully, both of them knew that I came to Christ before they passed on to be with Jesus. The fact is, whenever two or more gather in his name, he will be there also. And also, because of that, we can learn from other believers how to become like Christ. And then, I think another way that you learn is through the preaching of the word and through corporate worship. But the fact is, our primary calling is to be with him. Jesus said, come, follow me, come behind me, follow me. I want you to learn about me. I want you to know me. And then thirdly, to follow him, we have to leave all. This is usually the showstopper. You say, well, what do you mean by knowing all, Pastor? Well, let's go through this for a minute. Verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. The word immediately, euthaios. It means without hesitation. That means whatever they were doing, when Jesus called, they dropped immediately and started to go in the direction of Christ. Part of a disciple is one who will immediately stop what he or she is doing and be willing to listen and follow Christ. They left their nets. I feel me which means to leave behind something. In this case, when Jesus said, come follow me, immediately they dropped their nets and they followed him. What did they leave behind? They left behind their livelihood. They left behind their livelihood. There was no promise of the future. But listen, you can't follow Jesus moving forward if you're still living behind. You can't fully follow Jesus and obey him if you still have the past behind, holding on. They left their nets this week. Um, I spoke to a gentleman, not associated with our church, um, I walked in and introduced myself when we got into a conversation. And uh, the guy asked me a spiritual question. And I responded to that spiritual question saying, I don't believe that's a sin because I can't find it in the Bible. There's nothing specifically directed towards that. So um, I wouldn't worry about that one. And he looks at me. And he said, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. And I said, what do you mean you're on the fence? He said, am I going to wind up with the good people or am I going to wind up with the bad people? 
And I said at that point, well, let me share my story with you. And I put the gospel message in the story. I talked about how the chaplain led me to saving faith in, in, in Christ. I gave him verses. I gave him scriptures. And I said, this is how I know that I am on the good side. He looks at me. He's thinking all the while through. And he looks at me and he says, that gives me something to think about. And in his shape, I hope he doesn't wait too long. He didn't do immediately. He didn't let go. But I did share the gospel with him. And hopefully, if I get another chance this coming week, I will go up and make a beeline towards his room. And notice what it says. Immediately they left their nets. They dropped what they were doing. They, they dropped their, their life. And they followed him. This is a different word than the word follow. Akalutho. Akalutho in the Greek language, and that means to accompany as a follower. That means that we walk side by side with Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's somebody that has responded not only to the salvation message, but a willingness to follow him. See, this, this is the key. Our primary calling is to be with him, to learn about the Savior, walk daily as Jesus walked. Now, going on in verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, the, thun, the sons of thunder, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. So here you have the scene. The father, the two sons are in the boat. They're mending their nets. And here comes Jesus off on the horizon. He comes and he stops in front of the boat and he called them. The word call is kalo, kalo, which means summoned to a task. You see this? When we get saved we get saved for a purpose. We get saved for a purpose. God did not call us to sit in our salvation and to only know John 3.16 and maybe a few other verses and just to kind of go through life on our own. No, a disciple is one that comes alongside Jesus and he is accompanying Jesus on the journey and it is also one who has a task. Our task as believers not only is to become like Jesus, but it is to share the message of the kingdom of God to the world that so desperately needs him. And that is part of our call. Again, immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Notice, the two boys take off, the father stays in the boat. Now, verse 22 is kind of difficult. What does verse 22 mean? Well, metaphorically, I think it could mean this. Boats, they left their career. They wouldn't have money moving forward. They'd have to be dependent on Jesus. Listen, many of us in this room think that our 
finances are dependent on somebody else. No, our finances have always been dependent on God's grace and mercy. He gives us our jobs. He gives us the money that we have. And therefore, we're able to buy things, to use it. But here, they left. They left their nets and they left their boat and they followed him without any questions. I've actually had people question uh, long through the, through the years. I've had, well, what do I need to do? And I said, well, you need to follow Jesus. That's what you need to do. Well, how do I do that? And I give them practical ways in which they can learn to follow Jesus. Uh, it doesn't mean, and I've, and I've heard this too, well, if, if I receive Christ, God may call me to a missionary field. And I said, well, uh, I don't know about that because there's mission fields right here in Tolono. You, you realize there's a mission field here. So, uh, I, and he may very well call you to be a missionary. I don't know, but I do know that you need Christ in your heart in order to go to heaven. And so I've heard people say, well, let me, let me, let me think about that. Let me, I'm not sure I want to do that because if I give my life to Christ, my life's not my own. And I go, yes, that's right. You got it right. You're just not willing to do it. Because when you give Jesus your life, you don't own it anymore. You realize that. This is not your life. It's not my life. This is his life living through us. So yeah, and I, I don't chuckle. I just go, yeah, you're absolutely right. Your life is no longer. I, I chuckle with you guys because you all know. So, Father, their most significant relationship, they left. Here's the deal. I know some people that have given their lives to Christ. And having done that, their family wants nothing else to do with them. I've known several people like that. Well, when I trusted in Christ, we, we came from the Mormon faith and they just turned their backs on me. Whatever it was. Sometimes it will mean, as believers, our family will ridicule us for our decision. They may say, how foolish. My dad one time told me, all you have is fire insurance. And I told my dad, at least I have insurance. Later, my dad came to saving faith in Christ. Later, much later. But you may take ridicule from your family. You may take ridicule from your friends. I remember when I trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, and I went back to the, my, my, my barracks buddies. And I said, I just trusted in Christ. They looked at me like I was from Mars. Oh, when I was in the army, I was called Father Frazier, all kinds of stuff. Not usually from the lower enlisted, because that would have gotten them in trouble, but from my own peers. Amazing. It's amazing how the name of Jesus can invoke such rage. And what I didn't tell you about that story is most of the ones that were under me when I was in the army, they knew me. I must have done something right in my life that they would come to me privately and ask me questions. And I would tell them. Now, I wasn't perfect at all. I'm not saying that. But I must have been living in such a way that they go, you know, maybe there's something to this and they'd come and ask me. I'm a sinner just like everybody else. But, yeah. Sometimes trusting in Christ will produce ridicule in some. 
But I do want to tell you that in order to follow him, we have to be willing to let go of everything. That is, that is the call. So not only does God not choose the best, but the willing, our primary mission is to be with him and to follow him, we have to leave all, set it aside. And lastly, he commands us to spiritually reproduce. I deliberately left this one verse out until now. Go back to verse 19. Notice the phrase, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus is seeing the analogy of fishing. Of course, they, did, they didn't have poles like we do, but they had nets. So they would throw their nets out. He saw them fishing. He goes, boy, you guys are really good at gathering uh, fish, but I'm going to show you how to gather men and women. I'm going to show you how to do that. You, you've got this down. And I, I, I do realize that the Apostle Paul was a tent maker at times when, he, uh, when the churches, he said, I'm just going to be a tent maker and you can give me whatever you want to give me. Um, but he says, I will make you fishers of men. Poyo, it has nine different meanings. The word make. I will make. Poyo has nine different meanings in the New Testament. Two of those are possibilities for our text. One is to assign a task. We've already talked about that. But the other is to make or fashion something. Very well, those two could have been at that point. No doubt Jesus, when they followed, they were assigned a task. But also, in that process of following Jesus, what is he doing? He's fashioning us into the image of his son. Like the potter and the clay. The potter takes the clay and he begins to shape it. And before long, this, uh, this block of clay starts to take the shape of a vase. The potter is working on it. That's what Jesus wants to do to us. He wants to shape us. And I want you to understand something this morning. <laughs> um, we don't do this in our own power. Three verses removed from the verse that we're looking at right now or at least in John 15, excuse me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We work in combination with, with Christ. He is the one that is shaping and molding us as we follow him. We start to look more and more like Jesus. I think about how I was when I first came to Christ. I am nothing of how I am today in Christ. There's, there's a lot of things that I have foundationally found out uh, initially were wrong. And so I made those adjustments, me and, me and God and others that helped me along my pilgrimage in the Christian faith. And now I've arrived to a place where I'm not perfect and I'm still learning about Christ, I'm still following him, but at least I know enough to know what Jesus looks like and when I don't act like Jesus, he lets me know about it. So, and that's, you want to try to cut down on those times. But he commands us to be spiritual. He says, I will make you fishers of men. 
I will do this. You won't do it. I will do it through you. I want you to learn and sit with me and learn from me. And I'm going to show you how to fish for men. I'm going to show you how to cast the net of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, that's what we've got to get back to in our own lives. People out there, if we just listen to what they're saying in our daily lives. Uh, next week, I'll show another video before the, before the sermon starts. But we have to be out there willing to share the gospel. Willing to stick our necks out to share the gospel. And since this series and a series before that I was preaching, I've become much more sensitive now myself to know when somebody is seeking spiritual questions, answers to questions. We have to be producing. And this is it, three verses after this. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let me ask you a difficult question here. You don't need to answer it out loud. Somebody that comes to faith in Christ. They, they come to faith. The day comes. They trust in Christ. But then, nothing seems to happen. I remember a guy way back in my first church. It was a little country church. The guy came forward, he stood up, and he said, now it's time to get busy. I was excited, he was excited, I never saw him again. I'm going to get here, and I'm going to get excited, I'm going to get... And he never, he never came back. If... You trust in Christ and don't produce fruit. Not you. Our Sunday school has been dealing with this too. Is that the person that truly knows Jesus or do they have a head knowledge of Jesus but not a heart knowledge? It's a big difference. You can know everything about Jesus up here but never have applied it to your heart. Most of us in this room, I would say because I know you, most of you are true born-again believers. I know that because I've spent time with you and I know you. Craig Bloomberg in his commentary said this. Jesus is pointing out that just as fishermen try to gather fish from the sea, his disciples will be trying to gather people together, other individuals who are willing to follow Jesus in radical obedience. Jesus is looking for people who will be obedient. He's looking for people that are not talented, although some of us have talents that we bring to the table after we're saved. But he doesn't particularly call the rock stars. He calls normal people like you and me. Our mission as believers is to be with him daily, to follow him, to walk with him. We must leave everything that we have we must spend time with him. We must learn from him. And we are to also share the gospel with those around us. Will you commit to that today? Will you commit to say, you know, Pastor, I haven't been spending time with Jesus. And you get some verses in a, in a chapter. I always think you start with a book and you read through the book so you can learn the theology as you, as you go along. 
But while you're reading, say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? Get our focus off of the world. Get our focus off of the things of the world. Get our things on Christ so that we can become more like him as we move forward. Do you want to do that this, this week? Let's all make a commitment here that we're going to do our best to follow Christ. Here's the thing. Christ will work and mold you and shape you. I am so grateful, not only for professors, for my wife, for those in Sunday school classes that I would go to that taught me how to live for Jesus. I am so grateful for them. That helped me become who I am today, and I still got a long way to go. And if the Lord is willing and I'm able to tarry, I will continue to do so. And it doesn't mean that I live it perfectly, because I do not. But it does mean if you have a heart to become like Jesus, he can mold you and work you and shape you into his image. So the call today is to follow him.